I don't know if you remember uh, the book, The Sneetches. Ever heard that book? Yeah? It's one of Dr. Seuss's books. The Sneetches are yellow, tall creatures who live on beaches, of course, right? I love Dr. Seuss. It always rhymes. And uh, yeah, in this story, these creatures are actually divided into two groups, right? There are those who have stars on their bellies and those who don't. There's the plain bellies and the star-bellied sneeches. And the green-starred sneeches are the insiders, if you will. They're the ones who have uh, beach parties and they have campfires and they sing their songs. And the sneeches without the stars are the sort of left on the outside. So, one day, something happens. It's a fix-it-up chappy, he says. Named, and I wrote it down, Sylvester McMonkey McBean. He comes to town with a strange contraption. It's called a star on machine. And for $3, you can line up and get green star, a green star on your belly. And so guess what? All the plain-bellied sneeches love it, and they, yes, they sign up and they do it. Well, suddenly, the in-crowd sneeches are no longer distinct. So, which upsets him very much. But Sylvester McMonkey McBean also has a star off machine. So, for $10, you can have your star removed. And so there it goes. It's a belly star makeover, which starts a new insider trend. You can imagine the chaos. It goes back and forth star on, star off, star on, star off. And then this is what uh, Dr. Seuss says. Neither the plain nor the star bellies knew whether this one was that one, or that one was this one, or which one was what one, or what one was who. It's a classic Dr. Seuss statement. Profound, too, isn't it? It's an amazing parable that talks about this profound need that we have to belong. We all want to be on the inside. We all want this this desire to, to, to belong, to be, to be known. And maybe you've, under, you've had those experiences where you felt like you were on the outside looking in. I know I have. I remember in fourth grade, my parents moved from one end of town to the other end of town. I went from Webster School to Lincoln School. And, uh, you know, Webster School's not even there anymore, but I went and I remember... Where, where I felt like I was totally on the outside was on the playground. Right? And I realized really quickly that if you're going to kind of fit in and be on the inside, you needed to be involved in a dodgeball game. There was an intense dodgeball game that the, that the boys had. And of course, they had the captains, right? And I was not a captain. And the captains got to pick their teams. And finally, down the line, down the line, they went and and I finally got picked. I, okay, at least I'm in the game. But I tell you what turned the tide is <laughs> when I caught the ball of the other team's captain. Ooh. <laughs> Suddenly, I was in. And now I was no longer the last one to be picked. I was the first one to be picked. In fact, I even got to be captain a couple times. I was in. And it just changed my whole trajectory. There is this profound need, isn't there, 
to be on the inside, to be known. In fact, C.S. Lewis wrote these words. Let me just read them. He's a great theologian and thinker. He said, you discover gradually in almost indefinable ways that this inner ring of inclusion and exclusion exists and that you are outside it. And then later, perhaps, you are inside it. I believe that in all of our lives at certain periods and in many of our lives at all periods between infancy and extreme old age, one of the most dominant elements is the drive to be inside the local ring, whatever that ring is, the local ring, and the terror of being left outside of it. Wow. We want to belong. We desperately want to be known. I want to read two stories from the book of John. They're two stories, very different people, but one reality. One is the story of Nicodemus, and it comes and starts in John chapter 3. It says in chapter 3, there was a man, a Pharisee, named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. And then in verse 3, this is where it starts. He comes to Jesus with this question, and Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Powerful words to Nicodemus. Let me shift to chapter 4. And there another story is told about a nameless Samaritan woman. There is no name. But this is how the story begins in verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
Now just for a second, let's look at these two characters. You have Nicodemus, who we're told is, obviously he's a man. He's a Jew. He's a ruler. He's educated. He's powerful. He's respected. He's orthodox. He's theologically trained. He is the definition of an insider. But Jesus says, guess what? You must be born again. If you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Then you have a nameless Samaritan woman. A woman, a Samaritan, a moral outcast. I mean, we find out later, right? She's had five husbands. She's unschooled. She's despised. She's she's a total outcast in many ways. Capable only of folk religion. I mean, that was the the definition of, of, of sort of this attitude between the Jews and the Samaritans. They chose to worship a false god. And here's the deal. Jesus says, I can give you living water. Here's the reality. The insider and the outsider both needed Jesus, didn't they? And here's a truth, a fundamental truth I want you to go away with today. As followers of Jesus, those who are deeply understand their salvation. This is the truth that they know. There is no us versus them in our world. It is only us. And we are all sinners. Outside of the kingdom of God, except for the grace of Jesus and all that He did. And so all of these distinctions do not matter. The only reason I'm on the inside is because of what Jesus did and does and has done for me. That's what Christians understand deeply. That's why we say at the foot of the cross, it's a level playing ground. There is no race. There is no economic system. There is no anything. Popularity contest. We're all on a level playing field. We're all outside of the kingdom of God, except for those of us know who know we are beggars and we've simply responded to the grace of Jesus. So when I go to heaven and I'm facing God Almighty and He says, why should I let you into the kingdom of heaven? What would you say? Oh, well, I went to church at Orchard Hill. I did good things. I was a good person. I even gave money. I did this, I did that, or I knew so and so. Do you think that's going to matter at that moment? No. It's simply, I'm trusting in Jesus that his righteousness has become my righteousness. I have no self-righteousness apart from Him. And that something in me has been transformed by this water, this very life of God that I have drank from. I have had this 
deep longing, and I have drunk from the well of God's grace. That's it. Guess what? We're all on the outs, except for who Jesus is. That is a powerful thing, and it's so important to remember. So, given that reality, you have the insider Nicodemus who's told, you must be born again. You have this outsider, this nameless Samaritan woman. You want to be drink from this water that springs up to eternal life? Simply take this living water. So what are we, how do we act? How do we respond? This is what I'd like to say today. In this upside-down kingdom, there's two invitations here. One is first to come to Jesus by faith, to drink from the water of life. And maybe that's the next step you need to do. But if you've drunk from the water of life, guess what? Jesus doesn't leave you there. He sends you on mission with him. Now, I've uh, been thinking about this, and there's, there's some things that I've heard about myself. I've been accused of, of uh, different things about being a sheep stealer and some other things in this community. Let me just say this. I don't care who you are, but I would encourage you, if you are here, to say, I'm going to respond to Jesus. And if you're a part of this church, then get on mission with Jesus. To be on mission. Because that's where Jesus sends us. He goes out to the outsiders. He goes out to the ones who are out. And he sends us with him. We get to partner with him. And if you are on board with that, then I say, let's go. Let's do that. Let's be on mission together. Let's be about the things that Jesus is about. In fact, the world desperately needs us to be about the things that Jesus is about. And what was he about? He was about the outsider and helping them become insiders. Here's a couple things. He welcomed the seeker. He welcomed the seeker. Think about this. A Pharisee. A man named Nicodemus came to Jesus that night. Why? Because he was afraid to come to him during the day. Because of his reputation. Because of his role. But Jesus never turned him away. In fact, Jesus never turned anyone away. Ever. He always responded to them. He always took time for them. If they came to him, he always had time for them. He welcomed the seeker. Now, he didn't always say easy things to them, did he? I think about the rich young ruler. I think about Nicodemus even. Look, Nicodemus, here's the deal. You need to totally reorient your life. You need to come to me. 
You need to drink from the water of life. And the Spirit of God will do something new in you. Are you willing to surrender to me? He welcomed the seeker. You want know one of the great things I think about this place, and I've heard it. Like we're we're friendly, right? You ever heard that? It's friendly. I love it. I love the fact that people feel like they can belong here, that they come in the doors and they feel welcomed. Are people feeling welcomed? Do they know that, that they can belong here? That's an important thing. Do they have spaces to ask questions? And kind of seek and feel these things out. And where am I in my faith? What, what's going on for me? Who is this Jesus? Maybe you want to join a starting point group. It would be a great place for you to go if you have some of those questions. I think about Blake Kelly. Where's Blake? He's playing for us. He's leading us in worship. He has an incredible story. Wednesday he shared his story with the, with the kids. He came here unsure, just loving music, wanted to play, wanted to be a part of something. But when he was asked, where are you in your journey with Jesus, he really had to think about it. And it was through a friend, his friend Kelsey, who asked him really hard questions. And he came to faith. It's amazing. That's what we want to be. That's the kind of place we want to be. We want to be a place that welcomes the sinner, welcomes the seeker, it doesn't matter their politics. It doesn't matter their past. It doesn't matter where they've been or who they are. They can come here and they can belong. I think that's an important thing to say. But it's also something they need to be asked, where are they with Jesus too? Are they coming to the one who is the water of life? Here's the other thing Jesus did. He welcomed the seeker, but he pursued the sinner. He pursued the sinner. In chapter 4 it says, now he had to go through, through Samaria. He didn't have to go through Samaria. I mean, he could go through Samaria. Many Jews chose to go around Samaria because they hated the Samaritans so badly. It says he had to go. What was compelling him? It's like he knew there was a divine appointment that he had to have that day. And you read about this. It's an amazing thing. He goes to a very common place, Jacob's Well. People from all over the region would know where Jacob's Well was. It, it had been a source of water in the middle of a desert for generations. That's a really big deal. Think about it. The only fresh water you've got, and it's, and it's consistent, and it's good, because it was tapped into a spring. You know, even today in the developing world, get this, the average walk to clean fresh water is almost four miles. 6K. 
That's the average. And it's usually a very big deal. And it becomes a communal kind of task together. They go, and it's usually women and children. And they go and they carry their, their buckets and their whatever it is they, they can contain water in, often on their heads, they go. And I'm sure the same thing would happen here. In fact, they'd usually go in the morning when it was cool. But here's Jesus in the middle of the day, and here's this Samaritan woman, this nameless Samaritan woman. Why did she come alone? Because she was on the out. Because she didn't belong. And there is Jesus for a divine appointment. What's amazing to me is not only did he break this sort of gender barrier, he broke the race barrier, he broke the morality barrier, he had no fear. He pursued this woman. Where is the passion for evangelism? For you. For this church. For us. Do we care about people like this woman? I think we do. But it's going to require something of us. We're going to have to go beyond barriers. We're going to have to believe that what Jesus did for us really means something. Really means something. That his forgiveness and grace is real. That he longs to be connected. That he wants them to be inside the kingdom. So, what compelled him? Well, we know exactly what compelled him. He tells us in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. He welcomed the seeker, but He pursued the sinner. Pursued her. In fact, so much so, you know, in, in verse 9 it says, the Samaritan woman said, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? In fact, Jews do not associate. It literally means Jews do not use the same dishes as Samaritans. It's like the colored water fountain and the colored bathrooms and the white bathrooms and the white fountains. That's how bad it was. And Jesus said, no. I want you. He welcomed the seeker, he pursued the sinner, and he invited everyone to experience the water of life. He goes on, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. 
Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? I mean, I love this. She's trying to figure it out. Are you greater than the one who actually dug the well? And he says, yes. In fact, anybody who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again. I am greater. I am greater than your love of football. I am greater than your comfort. I am greater than your pursuit of pleasure. I am greater than your inconvenience. I am greater than your reputation. I'm greater than your family. I'm greater than your retirement fund. I'm greater. Anyone who drinks from those wells, they're going to be thirsty again. But you drink from me, the water of life, you will be satisfied. Do we believe that? Can we point people to Jesus? You know, when this campus was started, I've heard stories. People were going door to door saying, are you open? If there was a church in town, a new church that would help kind of your walk with Jesus, would you come? Yes, and I've heard from people who actually came. There are families here who actually came from that knocking on the door. We talk about inviting people and inviting them to come on the arm of a trusted friend. Who are the trusted friends inviting? Who are the people in your life that you want to invite? Who are you praying for? Not that they come to church, but that they encounter Jesus. That the out would become the in. Are we engaged in the mission of Jesus? And are we doing that together? Are we encouraging one another? Are we helping one another? Are we praying for one another? Let's pray together. God, I think about this, these stories and the amazing transformation that happened as a result of an encounter with you. Lord, in our own lives, uh, many of us can point to that moment, that time, where we too had an encounter with you and we were reminded of our desperate need. And you expressed your love and your forgiveness and your longing for us to know who you are. Lord, I pray that we would drink from that water of life and we would be compelled to tell others about what you've done that the out could become the end.